Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of The Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor K. Man, I wish I, I had the deeper radio-type voice as my guest has. Today, we're Nachum Siegel. He's the legend. He's a legend. Growing up, I remember watching him MC my favorite concerts. He's been in the Jewish entertainment world for over 30 years. A dynamic human, someone who I literally look up to. He's tremendous, but not just physically, but also in character and just a massive heart and a good human. And it was a real pleasure and honor uh, to sit down with him, to call him a, today a colleague and a friend. And, uh, well, let's just jump right into it. Ladies and gentlemen, Nachum Siegel. I feel like this, this is my second home. I feel so at home here at the Nahum Siegel studio. Um, and thank you so much for hosting us here at the, at, at the studio. Now. Are you kidding? It's this is honor. fantastic having you here. It's a real dream come true. Because I've been a few times and like this is uh, to be able to host you in your own studio. Has that ever happened before? Uh, maybe we've done some interviews like that here before. But I'll tell you, every time I look at these walls now with yeah. your, with your uh, visit, I, I say to myself, it's amazing that Mayor K and NSN have had so many things, so many projects we've done together. Yeah. Uh, I see a Nefesh Benefesh reference here. You, of course, yes, uh, were on the Nefesh Benefesh playing with us. Huge, huge. And we see the uh, pictures from Houston. You were there for that big... Uh, yeah, you brought me down for that. That was special. Yeah, that big so broadcast, special. which was amazing. Was and beautiful. kosher halftime show all over the place. All you know? over, yeah. I definitely, yeah. I see nothing with your... Um, you have a massive... We made a playing card out of you <laughs> as, as... What was the number... You gotta hand Number that 59? to me. Someone hand me the big one. I gotta get this into the picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had Nachum. We this had, is oh, I love it. You have it in the. So if you, if those who are listening, Nachum Siegel's um, studio is just filled with memorabilia and pictures and posters, and um, there's so much like history in this one place. What do you think it is, huh? I love it. I love now it. the question you should be asking is, yeah, how on earth did you get this back to New York from Atlanta? <laughs> that was. That, how did it come? Well, Yodi and I literally went to one of these UPS stores and we yeah. said, "Here, we need to get this to Manhattan." And they said, "Well, for about thirty bucks, we can do it." We and can they do did it, it. <laughs> for the right price. So exactly. Nachum was actually, for those who are listening, Nachum was holding a like almost life-size poster of himself posing as a NFL player. Because right. yeah, we had you. Um, at the NFL Experience last year in Atlanta, mm-hmm. we had you stand there, and people were able to engage with a quote-unquote real NFL player. Well, quote-unquote is right. <laughs> Some people might ask how someone like you comes up with these ideas, but that's not today's interview, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's about me, more about you, the legend. So let's dial it back, because I, I mean, we, we have had the opportunity to work on so many fun projects um, that you mentioned. But I want to get to know a bit more of the Nachum Siegel. I mean, I, you're a maverick. You know, Back in the day, 1983, when you launched Nachum Siegel, the, was the network the network? Well, it wasn't a network at that was point. Was the network at the time? It was a pretty serious show. What kind of Jewish entertainment was there? What kind of news was was around um, at that time? Well, at that time in the New York area, uh, most people were listening to Art Raymond, uh, who had a pretty legendary show and did a really good job presenting like five six hours a day of Jewish music, uh, and that's really all it was. And this is not a criticism. That that's what it was. It was basically a Jewish music show. When I started at WFMU in 1983, I tried to incorporate a lot of community information bring people in who could speak about topics important to our community. There was Jewish music, of course, as well, which is still the basic staple of what I do. And um, I would say that the, the, the show at that time when it started was really an outgrowth of what I had done in college radio. So if you listened carefully <laughs> as a critic, so to speak, to my early programming, 
it was basically a college radio. It basically had the elements of college radio shows with with song dedications and mm. shout outs, you know, right, right. To, to people in this room, this dorm room, and you know, on this campus, etc., and things like that. Uh, but then, look, the show continued to evolve and to grow, and um, that's how it started off, really, right? It was a passion project. It was a hobby. You just correct. Thought you were fascinated with radio at the time. You were in Yeshiva University, right? And my, that... my, my late mother said, "When you get to YU, check out the radio station. It's something you'll probably enjoy." Wow! So and she those, already foresaw that. Yeah, that, those are really smart. What words. do you think she like? What did, characteristics did you have around the house that she's like? You know what? Try this out. Well, it's funny because <laughs> there are relatives of mine who have recordings of me doing sports reports and other, you know, uh, different types of uh, announcing stuff uh, at the age of, like, four, five, six years old. Um, so, obviously, there was some, you know, Something affinity toward it. And then, I don't know, just in general, there was always this... I, I love the microphone. I love the microphone. I love announcing from the stage. I love being at weddings and, you oh. know, bringing the chassan and kala. Totally. That's a thing, actually, right? It's you get thing. hired to literally come to weddings and just announce the chassan and kala. Right. You That's, come there, you you announce them, and you leave. People want a well, it's a little bit more than that. Oh, okay, but yeah, but essentially, Just touch and go. <laughs> Hanging around for the main course, maybe. <laughs> essentially, to the to the uh, casual observer, that's what it is. I, I show up, I try to make that announcement. Those I don't know, thirty to sixty seconds, as exciting as possible. How so, do you go about doing that? I mean, you have the 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 dynamic voice that you have. But what kind of preparation? I know we're on topic. Like what kind of preparation goes into that? Well, it's not a matter of really preparation because I, I feel like I'm always preparing for stuff like that because, you know, I'm an announcer, you know, naturally, so to speak. Yeah. But I think that, and, and you and I have discussed this off the, off the air, so to speak. Um, once I get involved in something, once I get involved in an arena of announcing or radio or broadcasting or even being a scholar in residence, a speaker, whatever it is, I try to take that specific task and perfect it as best as possible. Oh, you critique the how you pronounce the word, where you Correct. put the stress on, so, the science behind it baffles me. It's amazing. And by the way, this goes back to the first time we ever met, yeah. when you were amazed to hear uh, Miriam Wallach and I discuss with you what goes into a wedding announcement. Correct. And even the people I work with wouldn't realize that you know that this type of thing is going on behind the scenes. Yeah. But we're all. But I'm always thinking of what type of name is it? How many syllables? Are hard or soft syllables? How will it sound when it comes out? Is it the type of name that I could really stretch out well, or do I have to make it a little bit shorter because of the way it starts? All these different things are going on in my head mm. as this announcement starts to, you know, become a reality. You know, the 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 reception, the ballroom reception is about to begin. And then the other part, and I'm sure you as a performer go through this all the time. The other part is, like I do after every single radio show that I've done, I've done probably about 9,000 morning shows wow. in addition to everything else I've done, you, you spend the next 15, 20 minutes criticizing oh, yourself what, what what went wrong. Now, it's nothing that anybody in the room will ever detect. Correct, and correct. very often I'll call someone, you know, one of my team members or a <laughs> or a family member and say, oh, this didn't go well. And they're like, you realize yeah. that there is nobody who was there in that room who has any clue that that's what happened. Oh, absolutely. We, we I know as performers uh, and speaking to others like, your, like, like yourself, myself, we could be our, our harshest critics, you know, like, oh, I could have done this different and that different. And it really comes down to this, the art itself. We want it to be a perfectionist. We want it to be perfect. Yep. And so it just goes back to it. But that's so interesting. How would you do, let's say, a name like Tomlinson? 
I mean, well, Commons is a great name. Is it, why is that a great name? First of all, three syllables is usually oh, okay. the ideal. Okay. You, there, there's no such thing as a great name if it's not three syllables. Seagull's not a good name. <laughs> you know, I can give you a million others that are so good So the names. more syllables, the easier, the better? or, or Not the, the more. Okay. Three. Three. Right. Four would not be, you know, three syllables that has a, you know, a, a not a not too hard and not too soft. Um, uh, how do I put it? Where each syllable is basically middle of the road, not too hard, not too soft. Now, Commonson is a good example, although the K is a little bit too hard. That's why I always say, if you want to, the best example of the best last name for a wedding, Let's hear it. it is Rosenberg. Ooh. Rosenberg is the R is amazing to come in with an R. Uh -huh. That's you know, R is like the most friendly letter in the world for announcers, right? Sure. So R, unlike P, P is awful. <laughs> P right. is awful, right? <laughs> so P is bad. Sure. R is great, and then the Rosenberg, the Z in the middle ah, is is this. is relatively soft. Again, it's not one of those you know really. And then Berg, I mean, you know, you, you, a four letter syllable to end the name? I mean, come on. I Look mean, at you, you, how excited you, you get you for a name. You can't so, ask for anything better. All the Rosenbergs and Rosenblooms out there, you yeah. know, you're getting married, you know I call. always tell my daughters, marry a Rosenberg. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just take it back. I love it. So when you were growing up, um, you were there any radio hosts or stations that you listened to that you're like, yeah. you know what, I want to... That's someone who I want to, I admire, or I want to... Um, I was addicted to radio as a kid. You know, I was from the era where transistor radios under the pillow. I'm sure you've heard about right, that. Right, some listeners are going to be listening, like, what's right. a radio? What's a transistor yeah. radio and all that. Uh, but that's how we went to sleep at night, you know, listening to sports usually, but it could be some other stuff as well. And um, I, I wouldn't say that I had to emulate someone or I wanted to be that person, but there's no doubt that if someone paid careful attention to my early years in radio, it sounded very familiar or very much like certain announcers. Mm -hmm. um, and I took, I took, you know, traits and what worked well for different announcers, you know, into my repertoire, so to speak. Um, it could be how they said something or the way they introduced it or just how they paused. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example if you want. One of the, one of the, um, one of the things I often do in interviews is, uh, is ask toward the end of an interview, is there anything you'd like to add? I would oh. say to the guests, anything you like to add. That's great. I that like is that a, that's a, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to take that. I'm always learning something from you, but yeah. That is it. a straight Larry King line. Ah. And, 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 and there are people, again, it depends what era, but there are certain people in my life who will always say, oh, every time I hear Larry King, I think of you, because they knew that there were certain things about him that I admired and that I did want to emulate. Um, the suspenders, not as much. No. Now you're looking. I'm amazed that you knew that, that he oh, wore suspenders. Larry King, he's you like, maybe hey. a drop older than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I've done my research. He's one of the one of the most greatest you know, interviewers out yeah. there. So Great interviewer, unbelievable voice. Yes. Unbelievable cadence. His presentation is mm. just so amazing. Which he's I, really the Marv Albert of interviewing in that if you listen carefully to Marv Albert, his pausing is amazing. And he's... Uh, and. and and how he and how he will um, bring the listener along as he as he uh, makes you hang on his next word. Yeah. You know there are long pauses that are really there on purpose and and do a great job in terms of engaging the listener. And Larry does that with the with the interviews. Yeah, incredible. Also great. Yeah, also, also he's also a great listener. He knows yeah. how to just listen and let and create the space for people to open yeah. up. But I, I actually I, I think our listeners will be overage word because having you as a guest with your professional voice you know the radio voice that you have music to their ears i know? hope so yeah i it's, hope it's comforting to a degree oh, i'm sure oh it's great you ever thought of like doing like like you know uh, storybooks or doing anything in that line yeah of i'm not i'm not a uh 
let's see, you know, narration or reading is not really my okay. thing. I don't really have the patience for it. Okay. Like, e even recorded material, I try to shy away from. I really like the whole live atmosphere. So most things that you're doing, I mean, you have a structure, but it's spontaneous? Yeah, most of the things that, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll have notes. Yeah. And there's certain things you want to know about your guests before you, you know, start a show. Up. Right. But, um, but otherwise, it's spontaneous. And usually... It's the stuff I think of as the conversation is going on that ends yeah. up being the you know the best questions of the interview. Yeah, I, I I've used you a lot throughout these past few podcasts because I get to my 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 guests and I'm like I'm excited they're excited they're starting asking questions and we start having a conversation and then I always remember how I came here for my first interview and you were sitting there and you were like distant and I think like cold I was that do something wrong and you weren't talking to me not even making eye contact and like you're I think you were in the middle of actually saying some sort of broadcast and I thought okay maybe once he's done he'll say something and you were just silent and you know afterwards you explained to me how you it's best not to have the interview before the interview correct and um, you waste all your material before you start the show which it, is insane yeah why would you do that yeah because all those questions all that excitement you want to keep it for the live air right and so it's something when I, I try to remind myself and sometimes when I catch myself like having a, you know just having a dialogue with my guests I'm like whoa, whoa and I bring up the story of like how oh, Nachum Siegel you taught me this so that's actually a very very good point there are, there are things that certain people want to tell me before an interview and my staff will say, tell us, and we'll, we'll judge. Whether, and, and sure enough, I mean, I've had episodes very recently mm -hmm. where I was told things on the air that if I would have been told beforehand, it would, have been, it would not have been nearly as you know, spontaneous and as meaningful to me as being told on the air. Mm -hmm. And that was, uh, that was really important. We had a, you know, recently we were in Pittsburgh. That was one trip that you were not on, but hey, um, yeah, you're, yeah. you're still part of the Jewish <laughs> Unity Initiative. So we go to Pittsburgh on the first anniversary. And um, my and my and there, we're sitting and having dinner Monday night. The show was Tuesday morning. We're having dinner Monday night, with, or no, the show was Wednesday. So we're having dinner Tuesday night with people who insist on telling me a story, a heartwarming story about something that happened during the first year memorial. And my staff is like, "Don't do it. Don't do. It. Don't tell them. Tell it's better on the air. No, no, it's not. About, telling it's better on the air. They end up telling my staff, and the next morning they tell me on the air. And the story was that the mayor of Pittsburgh insisted that the memorial for the entire community, meaning the whole Pittsburgh community, take place on the 9th of November. And the, the, it became obvious based on the weather forecast it was going to be a monsoon the 9th of November. And his staff's telling him, you got to postpone this. Thing. No, it must be the 9th, it must be the 9th, it must be the 9th. Wow. And sure enough, people came in their slickers and raincoats and umbrellas, and, and they had the ceremony. The next day in the newspaper, in the Pittsburgh newspaper, there was an ad placed by the mayor of Pittsburgh that on November the 9th, in the 1930s, Jews were uh, attacked and Kristallnacht occurred in Europe. Oh, and, wow. and laws were enacted to make sure Jews would be, you know, uh, would not feel welcome, so to speak. On the 9th of November in 2019 in Pittsburgh, just the opposite happened, that we made sure that every, and that's why he insisted uh, that, that it takes day. place on the night. Rain or shine. Now I heard, right, now I heard this on the air, and it was mind-blowing. Mm. I mean, I thought it was one of the most incredible, incredible. things. I'm getting chills, that's beautiful. Correct, yeah. but those chills I wouldn't have had if the night before I would have heard the story already. There you go. So that's a perfect example of, uh, of, of why it's worthwhile not to do the interview before the interview. To have the, the patience and to keep it going. Did you, so growing up, you had, I mean, there was, you had some sort of listening base where you just sort of like, list, like sharing it with your family, friends, with your old college student. Like, how did you build the brand that you have today? Was it just showing up consistently? I mean, how right. many days have you missed since you started? Right, since I haven't, haven't missed a lot. I mean, in, in the scheme of things, it's yeah. 36 years. Haven't missed a lot. Um, 
I think that uh, there are different stages of careers. Um, and the first thing you have to do is consistent, in this industry at least, is consistently show up every single day and do your job. It's sort of like, um, <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, if, if someone would ask me for advice about how to get into this industry, the first thing I would tell them is, well, for about 15 years, commit yourself to a certain number of hours each day and show up every single day. For now, it's not really 15 years because in, in reality, I would say four or five years into my stint, all of a sudden there were Jewish organizations and people within the community who started to you know, discover who I was and that I'm doing something worthwhile and it's a good idea to be associated with me, that type of thing. But it's in different stages. You know, at the 10-year mark, it increased a certain amount, the 15, more and more and more. Then you hit something like 25 and it's a significant anniversary. And I found that since then, you know, 30, 35, you know, 25 is a nice number. And there are a lot of people who are in their industry for 25 years. But once you start hitting 30 and 35, you're getting into numbers that, you know, people are not generally in the same profession or doing the same thing every day for that length of time. And it becomes even more significant. Yeah, it's, it's quite incredible, especially in this day and age when everybody's jumping around from, from career to career. Yeah. Hearing a number like that is just mind-boggling. Yeah. But I think also just attest to, like, your passion towards what you love. You love it so much and, um, and how committed you are to the cause. Going into this, did you have a certain goal, a certain message, an ethos that you wanted to bring to the world? I think that, um, well, when I mentioned to you that I wanted to expand the show from being a music program to, you know, really encompassing a whole array of different uh, topics and, uh, and interests, that was certainly the first goal. But, I mean, there's certain things that are really important to me and that my listeners have learned over the years are really important to me. So when it comes to things like Jewish unity, whatever that means exactly, everyone mm -hmm. has their own okay. way yeah. of looking at it, you know, I try to be as unifying as possible and, you know, make the program as welcoming to everybody as possible. Uh, Israel is very important to me. Over the years, we've incorporated a, a Hebrew newscast from Israel every single day. Mm -hmm. The majority of my audience probably doesn't understand it, but I, it's there just to remind people that Israel exists. Um, we talk about the weather in Jerusalem every single day for the same reason. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Nefesh Benefesh has become a, a very important partner of ours, and there are people who say they've actually, you know, credited us to a degree with their own aliyah because we've spoken so much about what it's like to live in Israel and why it's so important to do so. So I think those types of topics, um, you know, giving people innovative ways to increase their Torah study, making a... Uh, um, you know, making a presentation uh, on the air about different communities around the country mm -hmm. that are, which, which was, by the way, yeah. part of our focus of our Atlanta trip totally. was going there and and you know speaking to people from um, from different communities in the South, Absolutely. and finding out what's going on in these places. So all these things have become you know important pieces over the years. Yeah, it's it's amazing to see how just how it evolved. Like you sort of stepped into us, you know, with one idea, like oh, it'll be music based and whatnot, and then you had to pivot and learn and grow. And as things were changing, you you went with that as well. So that's, I mean, that's really great. With the, um, though, with the world of, you know, changing, here we are on a podcast, we're not live, you know, with these new elements and more accessibility to younger people and with, you know, just with technology, do you, are you fearful? What goes through your mind when, you know, with radio perhaps diminishing and these new formats arising, how do you see yourself moving in that space? Well, I mean, I think we made the, greatest declaration one could with that in mind, which was we completely cut ourselves off from terrestrial radio. We're an all digital network now for the last three years. We know, we see where everything is going and we made a decision in a way that I think, you know, um, 
was earlier than most people would have made it, especially in our community where people get complacent yeah. in different formats. So I think that was really important. Uh, some would say we basically started from scratch and started building an audience from there. You can look at it that way. I don't think it's <laughs> that's 100% that's accurate yeah. with, with the number of people we have around the world. Um, what number is that, by the way? It's it's in the, I mean, you know, tens of thousands every single day wow. and certainly hundreds of thousands that are listening, you know, on some type of regular basis. Um, but the... Um, the fa but once we became a digital, you know, network, even though we had been on the internet, and even though we had been accessible to anybody around the world at any time, just the fact that we actually made that move gave us a much more, uh, you know, global. Um, uh, it, it made us. It made us seem more global to the average person around the world. So even though again we were always accessible, it was a a major statement that now we're no no longer local show. We're no longer your only news source because now, you know, if someone's on Twitter and Facebook, they'll know the news before anybody else knows. Right. You know, we're no, no longer a news source, but we're going to be an important component to enhance your Jewish life. So we are going to analyze the news and we're going to bring you, you know, things that people and we're going to bring you items of interest to you, the, you know, the uh, committed Jew to Israel that you're not going to get in other news sources. Right. Uh, and we're going to bring you music you're not going to hear anywhere else. And we're going to interview personalities like yourself and others in a way that no one else will. You know, Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots, was on my show. Wow. And I guarantee you that it was the only show he was ever on where he said that to his father, being honored by Yeshiva University would be more important than winning a Super Bowl. Wow. There's nowhere right. else he would say it. And, of course, you know, and, and, and that's what I pride, us, I, I, I pride myself on the fact that we will give you content and you will hear and, and involve yourself with things on this network that you will not hear anywhere else. Amazing. That's a really great Nilkham Siegel moment. Are there a few other moments that stick out from the time that you were on air with certain guests? Uh, I mean, there's got to be a million. I have to just think for a moment. <laughs> yeah. Put you on the spot right there. Um, Jay Glazer. I'm sorry doing so many football references, but Jay Glazer, who's a commentator for Fox Sports, so he was on before one of the, one of the Super Bowls. And he spoke about how that no matter what he's doing, he will make sure to make to say Kiddush every Friday night and to have a Shabbos meal. He wow. sometimes invites, you know, some of his colleagues. I think he mentioned Terry Bradshaw. He'll invite some of his colleagues to participate with him. But no matter what he's doing, at some point that night, once work is over. Now, again, I'm not endorsing that people should, you know, go to work and when they finally finish, go home and make Kiddush Friday night. You know, everyone knows where I come from in terms of your ritual and observance. But just to hear that, just to hear that somebody cares enough and, and appreciates Shabbos enough or whatever Shabbos means to them enough to do something like that to me is really important. And I think a lot of that um, doesn't get emphasized enough. I think that people sometimes, you know, don't realize that these small gestures from people who are really in different arenas of life than what we're used to. Um, are really important, significant, and, you know, and, and help our Jewish brand, frankly. And I think things like that, you know, it, I, I am often, again, sports, I'm often uh, uh, lauded for highlighting Yeshiva University basketball. But one of the reasons I do it, in addition to being a major YU fan, one of the reasons I do it is because they are representing the Jewish people on the court in a really positive way, you know, wearing yarmulkes. And, you know, and no matter where they go in this country, everyone knows this is the Jewish team. Mm -hmm. So it's not just that I want them to do well on the court because right. I'd like I'd sure. like to do well. Are, are they scoring points? And they're sc scoring a lot of points. Uh, okay. But I want them to, you know, to continue to represent us and that we need to tell people, especially the young people in our audience, that this is the way you need to be. No matter what arena you're in, you've got to go ahead and, and represent our people well. 
Wow. That's, I mean, that's, that's, <clears throat> that's true. Yeah. Yeah. When was the moment that you realized that your brand became, you became a celebrity? Like this day and age, people get stopped for selfies and it, it's with social media, it's out there. You see X amount of followers, but when did it become apparent to you that like, wow, this has become something very, very real? First of all, I don't know if radio people ever really become celebrities. I mean, you... I, you know, I, I'll give you an example. Yeah, okay. I'll give you an example. I was once in Manhattan with a gentleman named Mayor Kay. And, <laughs> and, you know, and, you know I, said, I said to myself, you don't have a certain level of notoriety in the Jewish world, but this guy oh. is so out there oh, with hundreds of millions of hits on videos and doing stuff that the whole world's talking about in a very funny and, you know, a jovial manner. That everybody wanted selfies with Mayor K. Nobody was, but it's funny. Oh, it's funny. And now to be a little bit more serious about, it, we had dinner recently. A group of us had dinner with a very, very well-known radio personality, mm. and television as well. But not somebody you'd see in front of the camera, but somebody who's you know behind the scenes as an announcer. And we went to this beautiful kosher restaurant, and I'm telling the group that we're with. I said, you know, this is going to be impossible. This guy's going to walk in. And, you know, the whole world's going to recognize him. And everyone's going to be bothering us the entire night. I said, we just have to be prepared to, you know, yeah. to, to protect him a little bit and, you know, help him out when it comes. To... He walked in. We had the most amazing dinner for a couple of hours. And he walked out of the restaurant. And nobody walked over to him. Huh. And I'm saying to myself, you know, it's funny. But because he is, and we were discussing this afterwards, because he's somebody whose voice is well known. And whose you know uh, facial features are not as well known, right? You know, and anybody would know anybody in the in the broadcast world would know his name, and certainly any fan you know would know his name. But nobody had a clue who was sitting there. And now I'm not saying that I'm that I that I suffer from the same thing. I just you know, and and it is wonderful to be somewhere and be recognized and pictures and all that. It's really nice and getting a lot of great comments from people. Mm -hmm. But I think with radio, it's a little bit different. I think sometimes people you know are not. Not quite sure who that is or who they're listening to. Well, I guess it also maybe it's a certain peace of mind. It also comes with a piece of life. Like you're able to go to places and maybe you know have time with the kids, have time with the wife, and go out and not be perhaps boggled down by all the selfies and such. But I was referring to the idea of like growing up, has concerts. It was right. you, Malcolm Siegel, who would get up there and do the introductions, and you were a part, you know, a big part of that production. So right. I guess being asked to get involved in such productions and you know you, right growing up being recognized as somebody who could host mm. a big evening yes in a massive and distinguished venue that's a cool feeling you know being given that assignment and then eventually because remember when i first started with hask uh, and with a lot of other concerts very often there were two mcs or the mc duties would be you know split up among different people at some point in the uh, in, in the early 90s, I was given that responsibility to basically run the night and to be the face and the voice of the evening. And if time needed to be, you know, if you needed to stall, you're the one who's going to do it. Uh -huh. And if you, and if God forbid there's an, an, an emergency announcement, and there has been over the years, then you're going to have to figure out how to handle it in front of thousands of people, what to announce and what to say. Uh, and that was a that was a big revelation for me um, that I was you know given that assignment that I was entrusted with. That was really cool. That is huge. Um, one thing I will say, you asked about notoriety, selfies, you know, celebrity, etc. <laughs> one thing I will tell you is that the Seagull children will tell you, never go on a Cholomoe trip with me. <laughs> that, that they will say. <laughs> you don't want to be – Pesach and Sukkis in our family is a big – Oh, big challenge. Give me now, that picture. Now, now, now that everyone's older, it's yeah. it's it's you know obviously different, and it's not nearly as serious a topic. Also, you have you also have a couple of bodyguards now. <laughs> you all, you all, them. They've taken your your, your your you know your height and growth, so you know just make a little circle around dad. 
But uh, do you feel like a space like this, radio and what you've created, the brand, is this something that you would want to pass on to your children? I mean, if any of them would be interested in it, I, I would certainly work with them to develop it, develop it even further and figure out, you know, better ways to support it and grow it, et cetera. But I, I really do think, you know, people say you have to be crazy to, you know, to, to do certain things. You might be able to relate to that, right? Yeah. I think that I would be, uh, I'd be uh, fooling myself if I think there's somebody out there that would be as passionate, as committed, and as crazy to, to pursue this and, you know, to, to put up with the hours and the, and the commitment. And, you know, there's yeah. certain mornings that are relatively easy. Easy is the wrong word. I mean, but we just do that. I mean, what kind of, I mean, you're working up, what, four or five in the morning? Sometime between, you know, four, four thirty. And, and that's get, the reality. Like, that's what you're doing day in, day right. out. Right. And that's the thing. Yeah. Is that you're in an industry where you really can never be late. Now you can be late, and obviously there are, you know, there are precautions and uh, not precautions. There are systems, systems in place yeah. to to make sure you know things are taken care of. But still, you want to be there on time. You want to start things the way they should start, and people depend on you. And you know that listenership, you know, stays as stable as you are if you're there consistently. Your listeners will be there up. consistently. But even as a like as a dad, as a husband, like to not be there in the mornings. I mean, right. like. To lean on your wife, Stacey, I'm sure, I mean, is, is, is incredible to like not be there when your kids go off to school or to, I mean, it's a different lifestyle. This really has a big part of your life. Yes, that was a, uh, that was a big challenge. That was a big challenge for our family that was never around during those times. Um, Stacy is remarkable. If you ask any of my staff members to describe her, the only word that will come to mind will be saint. Mm -hmm. She is a saint. <laughs> Someone once actually in one of the in one of these pictures is a group setting where an author asked my staff, you know, tell me about Stacy Siegel, and the first person who answered said, "Yes, she is a saint." Like that was <laughs> that was the entire thing. But truly, but she but look what she does. She she works with me. I, I never, I never got into this whole expression when it comes to marriage of she allows me to or he allows. Me. I, 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 I never like that. I don't mm. like when people use that expression because. But, but I, I just, I, I don't, I don't know. You know, since when you know someone who wants to pursue a dream or pursue anything, you know, actually needs someone permission. Of course, they need their support and they, you know, need their help. But permit anyway. But and, that, you were, and you were doing this before you guys met. Yes, I mean, so she knew like, what this is her life. Well, not really, oh, because okay. we we met six years into this whole adventure, and she had no idea who I was. Oh. Which was actually a benefit, frankly. You didn't, so you didn't date a fan. It Correct. Like, okay. yeah, she had no clue. Which, <laughs> Who are you? And she got this. She got this rude awakening oh. that this is, you know, what life's going to be like. Oh. And frankly, you know, there are situations where, you know, I don't want to be too cynical or scare off too many people, but there are situations when you finally do get married, where, you know, your spouse has difficulty you know, adjusting to that way of life and may say, you know, we, we, we can't continue like this. We gotta figure out a way to, you know, do this differently or better. What was the challenge in, in your marriage? Well timing. timing. The, the challenge was schedule. Mm. The timing was, you know, yeah. that more kids were coming along. Thank yeah. God you six. I mean, you know, that's a lot of responsibilities yeah. and you know a lot of things going on. Yeah. And you really are out of the house by five AM. You know, right. that's and, and there are days where you're are you you're needed more than others, you know. And there are concerts on weekends, and there's, now there's weddings during the week. And, right. and you're traveling a lot for the well, shows. Travel's you, right? become very big for us. Huge. Travel's become a very big component. My staff has families that are extremely you know, patient and dedicated. And you know, so, so my, mine is just as patient and dedicated. You know, they, they have less of a choice in the whole matter. Right. But we're dealing with families that are really you know, committed to making this dream continue to be a reality. A reality. What advice would you give to... Uh, to couples out there who they get married, perhaps a certain plan in place, and then one of the careers take off, and or yeah, things are sticking, things are flowing. 
how do you pivot in that moment? How do you what, you know, what kind of sacrifices have to be made? Or well, I don't know if it's a matter. I don't know if it's a matter of, of advice. I I think that the um, the key is to is to make sure to discuss these things with your spouse because I've seen, especially in this era, when there are both men and women who are flourishing in their careers, and you know this neighborhood is filled with a lot of people from varied backgrounds. I see it. And there are times when men end up being, you know, home more than the woman, which was not traditionally, of course, what, totally. had, what had gone Roles on. Roles are shifting and changing. Roles are shifting. Roles are being shared. It, I think if the couple approaches it properly, then everyone can adjust, you know, with a great appreciation for each other. It's when there's no appreciation or, uh, or when, you know, one does not have the patience to understand what the other one's going through and why this is important for them in their career. I think that's the... You know, that's where trouble starts. Mm -hmm. But when you sit down and you, you know, either openly discuss it or just naturally the way things happen, it becomes obvious that the other person is really, really supportive. You know, that's the way to go about this. And, you know, it's funny. I tell a story. I tell a story that, uh, and, uh, to their credit, <laughs> I, I, um, I was making, we were making a bar mitzvah for our, for our two triplet boys. And it was a difficult time. One of a, my one of my brothers had just passed away, and this was happening right after Shloshim. It was just a very difficult time. Sure. And we were deciding exactly what to do for the bar mitzvah, when to do it, which Shabbos, etc. And uh, I said that that <laughs> I'm going to make it Matzah Shabbos Zachar, which was Purim night, and because Shabbos Zachar was their actual birthday, right? In, in you know in Purim time. And I said, and in my mind, I was stubborn. Like if anybody objects to this, I'm going to insist that this is the decision, this is what's going to happen. So I had one segment of our extended family that I knew for whom this was difficult, that this was, uh, but I would not move from my position that, you know, it had to be. So I said to them, I finally informed them, I said, by the way, the bar mitzvah is going to be Matzah Shabbat Zohar, which is Purim night. And I was waiting for, oh, Purim night, I had, you know. And they said, whatever you tell us is when the bar mitzvah is, that's when we're going to come to celebrate. Wow. And, and what did I do? I moved to the following week. Ah. Because just the, they, they were so the gracious warmth, yeah. in the way they responded that, yeah, I'm going to make a concession. I think it's the same, obviously, on a much more deeper level. I think it's the same with spouses. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you act in a manner that you take seriously what the other person is going through and needs to do, and you're trying to make – even if the, the accommodations don't always work out. Yeah, I do want to be there in the morning. I can't be there that morning. Okay, thank you so much for trying. Yeah. Thank you so much for, you know, making the effort. Communicating it and just and, and, and just sharing what's – Not just communicating it, but but dis but displaying it. You know, sometimes, mm. sometimes I'm criticized that I <laughs> – even though I have to get up early in the morning, that sometimes I'll go out late at night to pick up a family member. And it's not just giving them a ride, and not just you know, oh, I couldn't get someone else. And there's know, Uber, right? To, and right, and there's Uber, yeah. and there's a million. Other, but I just you know, sometimes you have to demonstrate you're willing to you're willing to be there for them because you appreciate how much they're there for you. And I must and I must in that in that in that moment to say how touched I was. I mean, your your kindness and your friendship has been very apparent throughout the time. But how touched I was that you you've gone the extra you and Miriam. Uh, came down to visit me while I just recently had a, a an accident driving a motorcycle and you drove all the way. I couldn't believe it. I thought in my mind, like you asked, hey, are you in New Haven today? Or Miriam Michelle, are you in New Haven on Thursday? I thought you guys were having a show in New Haven for some reason. <laughs> you guys literally drove in from New York to Connecticut, came by, you know, for an hour, hour and a half. We schmoozed, you talked, you visited me, and then you drove back to New York. And that was a beautiful, I was so touched. I was so touched by that. Um, expression of friendship, and, um, and 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 really, you you know. You well, we really felt it was heart. the least we could do. And again, you're somebody who overextends himself for us. 
So we didn't feel bad overextending ourselves. And, and, and hopefully this next story will be inspiring to people. You know, one of the things I'm most proud of yeah. is that when our staff member, Avrami, who you've met, when he moved from Baltimore, where he worked for us, to Israel, where he now works for us, I insisted that our staff go to Baltimore just to have lunch with him. Wow. Just a goodbye lunch. And what did I expect? I expected my staff would say, we have to travel to Baltimore. You know, let's buy him a nice gift. Everybody in this room, everybody in this studio said, yes, that's what we need to do. Mm. We need to get into the car and go and enjoy a two-hour lunch with him. And I, I think he's still stunned that we went, that we went, that we did that. It's Baltimore, it's, after all. It's a, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> but I'm most proud that we that we thought of the idea, and I'm most proud that my staff understood and, and said themselves, you know what, this is the only thing we need to do. We, we need to do this. And I think that's it really starts from a topic. You've created a culture within your network that, you know, you, attracts and keeps people who are just – who are willing to go the extra mile, who want to go and help the other person. I mean, that's the whole, you know, from this conversation and also from before I know that that's the whole idea of what you're trying to do is, is to build this Jewish union, to build this family, to to connect people through this reading that you love doing. So it just it's also beautiful to see that on the air you do this and also off the air. Like, you know, it just shows, especially in the you know, day of like social media and life, you right. know, how is one portrayed on the air and off the air? It's just it's 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 nice to be in the company of someone who who just well, who you. is throughout. You know, we like to joke around here, and it's not a joke that we that we work from Havdalah to candle lighting. Mm-hmm. Now, I really don't do that, right? I have I have my limits, but my staff does. I have a staff that is working from Havdalah to candle lighting, answering emails whenever they need to be answered, answered, following up on things, always thinking creatively during off hours, and that's very meaningful to me. That that people are willing to you know continue to pursue this and to perfect it. And to uh, tweak it, and you know, and offer suggestions, mm-hmm. and sometimes regroup when they see, you know, what we all need to we all need to pick things up, and and we, when we get together and we pick things up, and it's, you know, and I used to joke that nobody ever quits from JM and the AM because <laughs> every time every time one of my volunteer staff members from years ago tried to quit or say they're no longer here, I completely ignored them. Like, no, sorry, <laughs> you, not an option. You, you can't leave. Try again. You're here for life. Now, it may sound funny. But essentially, anybody who's ever been with us, even if they've moved on to other jobs, they still feel part of this family. And we still consult with them, and we run things by them, we invite them to our simchas. These are people who were there as we continue to grow. Wow, that's that's amazing. That, I mean, a lot could be learned from that kind of leadership, you know, from yourself. Thank you. You've been around for the years. How have you seen the Jewish entertainment, or Jewish music in particular, change and shift? from the past 30 or so years? Well, I mean, the most obvious is that, you know, people are not necessarily purchasing music these days. Yeah. Music's available in <laughs> in a lot a lot more, uh, more in more readily, in, in more ready-to-use fashion. I don't yeah. know how to say it. Uh, music's more available to people now. Um, I mean, there was a time, I was just watching a documentary about the 90s, there was a time where people spent billions of dollars oh. in this country on CDs and on videos, totally. you know, just to to purchase and to enjoy what they wanted to enjoy. And the status was, you know, X amount of albums sold. I mean, and records sold. So that's a now very it's about downloads. That's a very correct. Now it's a very big difference. I mean, I, I someone I saw a report yesterday about some young singer who has five billion views mm. of a specific song. That billion with a B. And it's like so. It's a different world now. It's funny because in the Jewish music world, obviously the the fact that there are no you know CD sales anymore hurts because that was obviously you know one of the ways that the artists recoup their money from these big investments and making albums and stuff. But there are a couple of things that um, that have happened that have evolved because of that. 
Number one, a lot more people are uh, releasing singles as opposed to going you know, to full production with big albums and stuff. Uh, is that good or bad? I don't know, but it's different. it's different. But one of the things that's good, and artists always point this out to me, uh, and it's so good to have a positive perspective. You'll appreciate this. Artists in the Jewish music world who never, ever would have been hired mm-hmm. to go to Mexico or Ireland or South Africa or Australia or even would have had fans in those areas. Their music never got there. Now, a middle-of-the-road, not an insult, just a, you know, a description, a middle-of-the-road entertainer who has a good song or has something to offer, this thing could go viral to the point where their notoriety would be, would be worldwide and the potential to go to places totally. you know, and entertain people. And there's also a lot more, I feel like the community has grown a lot more now. There's a lot more opportunities. There's, also, there's a lot more budgets and money out there that right. are, to, hey, come down for this wedding and this show. There's a lot more shows happening. Right. A lot less concerts, I would say, in mm-hmm. terms of the traditional Jewish music concert. Yeah. But in some areas of the world... You know, because they only had one a year, now they may have three a year, or they may have different organizations who are, you know, putting stuff together and, and, and of course, on top it. of that, you got the programs, the Pesach program, the Sukkot right. programs, the Shavuot programs. I feel like there's always there's always something to celebrate. Thank God, there's so. always something to, that's going on, and um, I, I think the budgets that you mentioned also have, in some cases, lent themselves to real creativity. You know, the standard concert I just described may be, you know, much less. But the and you know this the different things that now people can do and the types of entertainment they can bring in, you know, can be really varied and exciting and that's that's a good thing. Yeah. If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? So I always tell my kids when they ask me that question. Ah, you all right? It's I, okay. I always it's tell, some some people you're like all right. I always I've gotten that before. But this is based on something because I had teachers uh, as I was growing up who always said you should be in the service industry. You should be a maitre d' of a restaurant. Uh, of you should be the manager of a hotel. You should be in the service industry. And, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if I ever would have spent the time to get a degree in those areas. And I do believe that to pursue that type of thing, you do need a degree. You need, you know, formal education. I'm a big, big proponent of, of goal-driven – oh, again, something you could relate to with your film career. Sure. You know, the, the formal uh, education in a real course program. And I think the more people in our community – especially on the right side of our community, I, small r, um, maybe big r, I don't know how you'd say it, but, <laughs> but the, the segment of the community that we described as the right, I think the more parents and kids in that community, in that segment of the community, would realize that, that goal-driven course-type programs are so vital, such a key. You learn so much more in a compressed amount of time than you would just pursuing something on your own. Uh, I would hope that people would realize that. And and that would be the type of thing I hopefully would have pursued. And who knows? Who knows where I'd be now? Maybe I'd be Izzy's maitre d' in Crown Heights. Who knows? Hey, there you go. There you go. Um, absolutely. I mean, wow. To be greeted by you, Nachum, would be... Uh, I would hope so. Any business would be uh, be, be lucky. What's it's, a, it's, a sto- it's, it's one of those stories that, that only can happen on my show and that only my audience could appreciate. Did you ever hear the story of... Um, of um, like ben, ben Shapiro goes to YU, you know, to do one of his speeches, and there's certain things he says, and he says only in YU can I tell this because only in YU would people get it, you know, in terms of his opinion on a certain halakhic matter. Like he says, I can't discuss this anywhere else in the country. Right. So Joe Lieberman, you know, the former vice presidential candidate over your state, Joe Lieberman. Yeah, Joe. Sure. So Joe Lieberman comes to YU to do one of these presentations, and they said, you know, um, I was with Sarah Palin. You remember Sarah Palin? I was with Sarah Palin. We were campaigning. And she was in a down mood. She was in a yeah. really down mood. And I said, Joe, you're a religious guy. Go go talk to her. You know, yeah. I, so he goes over and talks to her. 
And he says to the audience, to us in YU, I'll explain the joke in a second. He says, you know, and I'm talking to her, and it's sort of like, you know, talking to the lonely hockey man, the lonely hockey mom of faith. What was the Rub's most famous? Uh, what was the Rub's most famous book? The Lonely Man of Faith. So the entire YU, who of course know this, are the entire auditorium of thousands of people are cracking up. And Lieberman then says, it's the only room in America I can tell that joke. You good. know, Lonely Hockey Mom of Faith. So I want to tell you a story that can only be ha- have happened here, but it could be extra time. Like you, yeah, you know, we no, yeah. yeah. Oh, we're not limited. That's great. We're so rolling. we're rolling on all yeah. all fronts. Okay, firing all cylinders, Mayor. There we go. <laughs> that should be the trailer. Firing on all cylinders, Mayor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we covered all of that. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. Um, yeah, on the topic of innovative and thinking of new ideas and Nakam Siegel Network had to be creative throughout the time. What's come to be really a big part of the Nakam Siegel Network and a lot of people talk about it is the Kosher Halftime Show right. which we worked on which is a, sure. so much fun these past two years and God willing for many more years to come. How did that idea come about? Um, there was a time when Yeshiva University had a uh, a halftime shear. Literally they would send a shear out that they would recommend you know show during halftime at the Super Bowl. It's a good idea, you know, yeah. u- utilize the time more wisely, so to speak. What a and balance. They know that people are going to be watching the game, which is right, cool. Right, exactly. Coach. And people, some people watch the halftime show, but but they sent it out to make a statement. You know what? Let's make sure there's, a to- there's Torah available if somebody would want it. And, and of course, many people did. Um, so when, when they got rid of that program, when they no longer did it, Daniel Gordon, that's why Daniel's thanked on every coach halftime show at the end. <laughs> Daniel Gordon said to us, you know, this is a really good space to move into. You know, you guys should consider doing something. And I, and I don't remember who else on the staff, I'm sure my staff helped, came up with this idea of a kosher halftime show, which we trademarked. We trademarked the term. Why? Not to, you know, secret, secrets are now coming out. Not that we are really in competition with J-Lo or anybody else who's doing a kosher <laughs> halftime show, who's doing a halftime show. Sure. We, we get it. We get what's going on. And we also get that the majority of the people in our community obviously are watching it. And it's one of the spectacles that the whole country talks about. You know, so obviously. But we wanted to make a statement. We wanted to say, you know what? The Nachum Siegel Network stands for family entertainment. The Nachum Siegel Network stands for kosher entertainment. And we are going to offer an alternative. If you decide to watch it during halftime, as you know some people do, mm-hmm. great. If not, you watch it the next day, the day after. It's a fun production that is not just a statement that we want to be the alternative to the type of entertainment that's now you know, readily available in America. But also we want to have our own fun. We want to have our fun with, with Jewish music artists. We want to have fun with skits that we do. Yeah. And, and do something that, you know, that the Jewish kids will find to be you know, something entertaining. And that's how it's evolved. And, and since you've been aboard, we've done some really cool things. A lot of great visuals, a lot of great audio. Yeah. And, you know, people, again, whether they're watching it the Sunday night of the Super Bowl or they're watching it a month later or whatever, they're enjoying it. Right. We could definitely, there's definitely space in, in the arena of Jewish entertainment to create new and different type of content. Sure. And it's shifted as well, right? It used to be for you, uh, for the Coach Halftime Show, just a musical performance. Right. And now it's it's just changing and evolving into, like you mentioned, skits and comedians. Yeah, a little bit and, of variety show. Yeah. And even when we went uh, for last year, what year was that? Was that 50? 50. 50. Big old fifty was last year fifty. Uh, fifty three. Fifty three. Wow, time is fine. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think the, so. Um, you're the sports guy here. Or fifty two. I don't know one of them. The, um, I just remember fifty was in San Francisco, so it couldn't have been last year. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, we actually went down to Atlanta where they're right. hosting it, so it's always it's always an adventure with you guys. Um, tell me. Some- and by the way, everybody, 
I was so <laughs> convinced that when Mayer dressed me up as an NFL player or NFL legend, that at some point within the next five to ten seconds, security would come by and escort us out, and I wouldn't have to worry about you know no, 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 no. about putting everybody on in terms of uh, and pulling putting putting everybody on in terms of uh, this ruse. But nobody ever showed up. Well, and, and we did the entire thing, you, and a lot of people lined up. A lot. And you were signing base uh, footballs <laughs> yes. and sneakers and jerseys. jerseys. Wow. I mean, listen. I mean, you a method acting. You really became the character. But you know, bless you. How tall are you? Six five. Six five. So I look a little bit like a football player. So you got you got yeah. the height. You know, you you could definitely be a football player. So that and you got you also had the the. We had the uh, Super Bowl. I got to thank Mendieres. He made sure we had a replica Super Bowl rigs. So right. Cool. So that was a real deal. So it looked you, like you, that was the real deal. Exactly. <laughs> um, there was um, a story that I know that on the air that took place that only took place. At well, I think this story is a great example of what we spoke about earlier that could only happen on JM and the AM or in the confines of what is now you know the Nahum Siegel Network. And I, I think it's the only audience that would get the joke, that would get the whole thing. So years ago, um, uh, The Apprentice was a big show. The President of the United States used to be the host. Remember that whole thing? Sure. The Apprentice was a big show. And if you were voted off The Apprentice, you were not allowed to go home. If you were voted off The Apprentice, or fired more mm -hmm. accurately, they put you in a hotel and you were secluded till the end of the actual airing of the show. They didn't want you going back to your community, especially, mm -hmm. can you imagine these days? Right, you know, you'd be spilling the beans. Exactly, you'd be photographed in a second, it would be viral. Oh, this guy must be out of the competition because look, he's here. So they put you in a hotel and if you were, whether you were in or out, you know, it was, it was yeah. a long, difficult stretch of time of, you know, not doing much, frankly. So, uh, so Dan Brody, who was an Orthodox Jewish young man, was on The Apprentice. Oh, really? He was on The Apprentice. And once he, once The Apprentice ended that season, he came to JM and the AM, and I said to him, Dan, there must be a story that because of your frumkite plus, you know, trying to be a competitor on The Apprentice, has to be something you could tell us. He says, well, let me tell you the following. First of all, <laughs> he says that every night they're taking them out to a restaurant, you know, and they're asking people, you know, what restaurant to go to this that, and I'm eating salad or whatever I'm doing, you know, right. at these restaurants. One night they said, you know, damn, we feel terrible. We should go to a kosher restaurant. We'll take you guys to a kosher restaurant. You can't take me to a kosher restaurant. He says, what do you mean? I'm telling you, if we go to a kosher restaurant, someone is going to be there that's going to recognize me from my community, and they're going to wonder what's going on here, and they're going to catch on I said, Dan, you know, big shot. Who do you think you yeah. are? You think you're going to walk into a random Manhattan restaurant and people, you don't know how it works. Like, all right, so that's one example. So what happens? <laughs> with that with that in mind, right. so he convinces them not to do it because he really, you know what would happen. Wow, well, yeah, of you, course. You know oh, for sure. So what happens? It's now, this was um, uh, filmed about September, October time. So now it's uh, they have they have these different outings to keep them busy. They're going to go bowling one day. They're going to go miniature golfing one day, et cetera, et cetera. One day they decide they're going to take the entire group to Six Flags because, you know, wow, fun. a little bit of an adventure, a great adventure. So they get into the bus. They get to Six Flags. They arrive there, and Dan realizes it's Holomoid Sukkis oh. at Great Adventure. Oh, forget about it. Now, tell me that there's any it. other audience who now would gasp the way this audience is gasping <laughs> at this, right? And he's telling this on the air to me. <laughs> right. So I realized it's Hall of White Circus. And, and it's, it's NCSY Day at Great Adventure. Oh, he's, oh, he's finished. His goose is cooked, as they say. <laughs> and he doesn't know what to do. And, he, of course, he's telling his colleagues, you know, you, you can't imagine the trouble I'm in. And they're like, but yeah, come on. Who, who do you are think you, you are? Yeah. What does he do? He goes to the leader of his group. He grabs a ticket. 
He runs and, and gets admitted into the into the uh, park, goes straight to the gift shop, buys one of those like where's Waldo hats, you know, one of those puts it on over his um, and walks around like that all day no long, making sure that nobody will recognize wow. it. Now I ask you, Mayor, could that story be told or appreciated anywhere but no. on the Nahum Single Network? No, no, no. That's incredible. <laughs> that is priceless. Is that great? That is priceless. I wonder if the same thing could have happened with you if you, you know, talking about you going to Great Adventures on the Chalamar, if you got yourself a hat or glasses, were you able to blend in? Maybe, but they may ask me to MC the concert there. That and, is, and then the jig would be up. There you go. There you go. That man in the back, shoulder higher than everybody else. Wow, Nachum, this has really been a pleasure. I mean, thank you. thank you for sharing, you know, your story and just your your whole journey through uh, through these past couple of years, doing what you do and being the voice for so many and and, and lending the, your voice to so many people who don't have it. So it's really really an honor, and a pleasure. Please share with us. Is there anything that you're excited about that's upcoming and and how? that's going going on within your network um we're doing a lot of traveling these days yeah. which we love because we get to feature organizations and efforts that again would not be that common to this audience if we didn't go and uh, and report on them or experience them uh and we've been doing a lot more of that not just in israel but in the united states as well which is really cool seeing a lot of communities and uh, visiting places i mentioned right. the most recent trip to pittsburgh sure kosher halftime show as you know is always a big deal and that's going to be coming up at the beginning of february 2020 right and if you're already uh hearing this when it right. happened already Joe, then check all out. you have to do is this? search kosher halftime show 2020 there you go or the previous years as well or, yeah, yeah. check out all of them check you'll, all them. you'll check enjoy them. them yeah uh, so and that's always a, a big deal for us here as you know and um, and we continue to try to be as creative as possible and really to shore up um, everything that we need to do to stay as current as possible. That's why Facebook Lives are a very big component of what we do. Um, guests almost every morning are now, you know, out there on video for people to enjoy those videos. Um, you know, our social media presence continues to grow even though as I get older, we are still surrounding ourselves with young people to make sure to stay as relevant as possible. Yeah. We know how important that is. And uh, we just ask everybody to keep spreading the word because the more people latch on to NSN and our app, etc., the more they realize that it's programming they really enjoy. Amazing. Great. And how can people find your uh, information out there? Uh, search us in your app store, Nahum Siegel Network. Go to NahumSiegel.com. It seems to be really easy these days to find anything you're searching for. Easy breezy. All right. Well, look out for Nahum Siegel and all the credible content that's coming from him your way. Thank you, Nahum. Thank a pleasure. you very much. Always a great pleasure to speak to you. Hey friends, thank you so much for listening to this podcast, for tuning in, and thank you Nachum for coming through and hosting us in your studio where we recorded this podcast. So much fun always hanging out with you. And don't forget guys, Mondays is the day to mark in your calendars when we launch the new episodes of the Great Day Podcast. So, new one coming to you next time, next week, Monday. Happy Monday, happy Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Whatever day it is for you, I hope you make it a great one. All the very best, and tune in next time on the Great Day Podcast with Mayor Kay. Bye.